Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. I have with me here for the Libertarian Christian Podcast, our friend Doug Bandow from the Cato Institute, a senior fellow there, I still believe, right? That's right. Doug is a longtime friend of LCI. He's been on and off again with us here and there. But one of the things I love about Doug is not only his strong faith, but he has an incredible assessment of and understanding of foreign policy, and especially in the conversation we're going to have today about China. And so, Doug, welcome to the show. Happy to be on. Good to see you again. Yeah, always a pleasure to speak with you, and I'm glad we're able to do this today. I wanted to talk about China because I think that there's so much misunderstanding amongst our fellow Christians and really amongst even our fellow libertarians at times about what are kind of the natures of the problem. We know that they're communists. We know that there's, their government is awful, but it sometimes is hard to understand like really where the people are coming from at times and how can we best interact with them both from a social point of view and an economic point of view in order to make an impact? So, Doug, I guess the thing I'm thinking about is that a lot of people seem to think like, well, we're really concerned about China because of economic hegemony and they're intruding upon us. They're stealing our IP and all these sorts of things are kind of in our minds and we get told by our politicians that stuff is a problem. We got to get to sanctions. We got to do this. We got to get out of China. What's the myth and reality behind some of this, man? Help well, me out and understand. I mean, it. the China issue is extraordinarily complex. I think it in many ways derives from the fact that for the last 75 years, the U.S. has been used to being the number one power. We haven't had a serious competitor. I mean, the Soviets were a military competitor, but not an economic competitor. They didn't have soft power. They had very little appeal for most people around the world. China is a very different animal. So we're suddenly in a different world where there's a lot of stuff that they may be competing, and then there are other areas that maybe they're an antagonist, there are other areas where they may be friendly. So I think it's useful to look back on a world, especially pre-World War I, mm -hmm. where you had competing great powers. You yeah. know, these are countries that traded with one another. They also fought over colonies. They would try to kind of you know, get the other one out of areas economically. Sometimes they came to military blows. So what would you say they were? Well, you know, uh, France and uh, you know, Great Britain had a long heritage of war and this and that. On the other hand, they traded and they eventually fought together. I mean, Germany rose in trading relationships, but also at odds with its neighbors. So we might want to look at China in the same vein. The U.S.-China relationship is a very complex relationship where you have a rising great power, which in a sense competes with us not necessarily equally, but nevertheless significantly on, on almost all areas. Yeah. I mean, this is a country with a growing military. It's still not as good as America's, but it's growing. They're very good now at technology. We lead in some areas. They lead in some others. I mean, on trade, they trade more with the world than we do, though traditionally we've done more high tech, but some of that's changing. Yeah, so what you see here is a lot of differences. We have, a, at this point, a government in China that's very ideological, communist, very bad on human rights, but it's not like the Soviet Union in the sense of trying to turn the world communist, mm -hmm. you know, but they want to assert their system and they certainly don't want us changing theirs, but they really don't spend a lot of time trying to turn other countries into mini Chinas in a, in a way that the Soviet Union, say, arguably did. Right. So th this is one where I think we have to take it piece by piece and recognize there's no easy answer here. The worst thing to do is to simply apply a label and say, oh, they're an enemy or you know, treat them yeah. as one. We've got to be much more sophisticated for this looking forward. So do you think that, for instance, our trade relationships that we have established and had 
you know, at this point with China for decades now, are really like problematic in the way that many Americans kind of want to believe at times? Or are these things that we need to nurture and try to even expand upon? Because for me, at least, my main business, in fact, does a lot of manufacturing in China. And we are concerned about the political relationships at times. And that, like, we, we have to adapt to that. But really, we have found that, like, well, when we interact with our Chinese manufacturing partners, we have a good relationship with them. We have much more opportunity to talk with them and, about and <laughs> than perhaps many other people do with actual Chinese people. Right. Look, I think it's worth recognizing that the relationship with China has changed over the years. Prior to 1972, we treated them as an utter hostile totalitarian power. We had no relationship, didn't have diplomatic relations. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work very well. We ended up at war against one another in the Korean War. If we'd had diplomatic relations and contact and some engagement, we might have been able to avoid that if both sides had understood the red lines of the other. So I think that showed that policy didn't work at all. With the Nixon opening and the death of Mao Zedong in 1976, which was very important, China suddenly moved dramatically in an economically free direction. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that the result of that was very clearly beneficial to the U.S. and the world. A lot of production, a lot of products. This how, trade helps Americans, especially low-income Americans. People who it matters most to have cheap food, cheap clothes, cheap shoes and whatever products are poor people. That was very good. And it was also good for the Chinese. Hundreds of millions of Chinese were raised out of poverty. Yeah. And I think that's something that, especially as Christians, we should view as a good thing. Absolutely. You know, recognizing their political implications, nevertheless, the fact that people in the countryside in China no longer are starving, children can grow up with opportunity, we should applaud that. You know, and that was a result of trade. So I'd say that, broadly speaking, the economic relationship was a good one. Now, there are issues that come out of this. So suddenly the question of spying, commercial espionage, IP theft, intellectual property theft. Suddenly there's a lot of this other stuff that are legitimate issues. And there's also, I mean, issues even with trade, the question of are they being fair? They made promises in terms of the degree of subsidies for their industry. All of that stuff's fair game to say, we think the relationship needs to be rebalanced some. That is, they are cheating in ways that they had, say, promised not to do. But that doesn't suggest that you want to just completely disengage. Mm -hmm. That tells you how do you address those. And today we're talking about, people first were talking about decoupling, which sounds very dramatic. Now they're talking about de-risking. But the argument that you don't want to have your entire supply chain in China. Suddenly do you find that you have no products to protect yourself from COVID, they're all made yeah. in China. China's mad at you and won't ship them, then what happens? But again, that strikes me as being kind of a subsidiary problem. That is, you're not right. saying we shouldn't do business with them. It's a question of, okay, we think there's a unique problem here. How do we address that? You know, and the idea of friend shoring. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. I think all those are legitimate to debate, but I'd say the economic relationship is a positive one. The geopolitical, foreign policy, military one has gotten darker. Yeah. I mean, they were good when they were kind of, a, you know, we viewed them against, with us against the Soviet Union. Now, suddenly it looks like us against them. And that's also a very complex one. Nobody thinks they're going to attack us. We dominate the world, including East Asia, up to their border, essentially. They don't like that. So the question we're going to have to answer is, how much are we willing to spend to try to dominate them 100 miles off their coast? Taiwan's 100 miles, roughly. And that's about the same as Cuba from America. So imagine if the Chinese were able to dominate the Caribbean up to 100 miles off our coast. We wouldn't yeah. be very happy. So that's a different set of issues. And we get into you know, computer chips. There's a lot of this stuff out there where I think 
we want to be very careful that there are benefits out there. There's some things that are challenges. They do some stuff in our country. They go after Chinese students. They spy yep. on their own students. I mean, all, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we have good complaints about and we should address. Hey, folks, I just want to take a break from our episode to ask you to consider becoming an LCI insider. We want everyone to feel engaged and excited about what LCI is doing. And the best way to do that is if you become a monthly supporter at $20 or more per month, you will become what we're calling our LCI insiders. You get some free gifts. You get an exclusive Crisis King magnetic lapel pin. We give you two copies of Faith Seeking Freedom. We send monthly ebooks months ahead of when they're released on our public website. You can get discounts on our swag on our online store, and you get exclusive invites to our quarterly live streams with the LCI staff. In addition to that, whenever we do publish something like a physical book like Strangers with Candy, we'll also send you those as well. So the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing and to support what the Libertarian Christian Institute is doing, including supporting the podcast you're listening to right now, is to become an LCI insider. So to do that, go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate and then choose recurring monthly gift and you'll be added to our list automatically. Thank you for your support and I'll let you get back to the podcast. Yeah, that's really interesting. Your point kind of about like the way in which we're willing to spend in order to dominate up to a certain point around their border effectively is like, it is very much a, how would we like it? If during the Soviet Union days that that were like, well, right. we, we kind of we, experienced that. On we some showed level, how right? much we didn't yeah. like it when we were prepared to almost go to nuclear war. And yet we're kind of talking like this is something we need to do now with Taiwan, especially. And like, wow, really? Like, what are kind of the more localized, like the, the factors that are in play here in our own political system that are kind of affecting that? Well, I think, unfortunately, China has become a political issue and that's not helpful. I mean, yeah. there always have been politics involved in the relationship. For a very long time, economics dominated. You had people out there who were viewed the trading relationship as bad. They tended to be protectionist. They worried about lost jobs. I mean, the U.S. has lost a lot more jobs because of automation and higher productivity than it has because of the Chinese. Definitely. Nevertheless, China's a convenient... Yeah, it's know, a scapegoat in that That's case. That's right, a very, yeah. very good scapegoat. And human rights. I mean, there's a sense in which if you look at China, there's a whole set of issues that are, in a sense, not their impact on us, mm -hmm. which the economics has, the geopolitics has, but it's the impact within. And that's especially the human rights issue, which has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. It was awful under Mao Zedong, it got better. Under Deng Xiaoping and his successors, it's gotten much worse over the last decade under Xi Jinping. And I think that's one where, at the simultaneously, we should be concerned about attacks on liberty, especially religious liberty. It's a huge problem where the Chinese have gotten much, much worse. Yeah. A lot of pastors in jail, churches closed down. I mean, this is bad stuff. On the other hand, we have to recognize how limited our reach is. But that's one set of issues. And then the others are this sense of how are they impinging upon us? How are they affecting us? And I think practically we need to start with what do we view as serious threats? I mean, if you want to go to war, I think you, want to, you need to talk about vital or existential interests. And it's very hard to argue that our ability to impose our will several thousand miles from home is an existential interest. Yeah. No one believes the Chinese are going to be attacking Hawaii or California. So that creates a very different set of security issues. And you have to ask about the cost, about the risk. I mean, I like Taiwan. The question is, how can you help Taiwan without getting into a shooting war with the China over it? These are things we should be looking at as opposed to looking immediately at military confrontation. On the economic side, then I think you take piece by piece. It makes sense to be worried. We don't want the Chinese to lead us in semiconductor chips. 
but how far are we prepared to go? We've created a domestic subsidy program. Those rarely work out well. People talk about industrial policy. That kind of policy is basically dominated by inefficient existing companies. It does not create efficient new companies. So we may very well get ourselves into a worse economic position mimicking the Chinese. Their investments in uh, semiconductor chips have largely been wasted. They've been massive. They are still way, way, way behind. So Mm -hmm. those are areas where I think it's quite legitimate to debate, but also be somewhat skeptical of the likelihood of the government getting it right. You want to pinpoint, you want to target, you want you have to have nuance there as opposed to yeah. the way politics. And then becomes, you know, the Republicans are attacking the president for even <laughs> talking to the Chinese. We need to talk with one another. I mean, to me, this yeah. is the last thing you want to be in is you don't talk. What are our red lines? What is likely to set off a war? How do you, I mean, these? it's crazy not to. Much more important to talk to your potential adversaries than your friends. You know, your friends aren't dangerous. Your potential adversaries are. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, it's oft noted that there's, it's suspected at least, that there are more Christians in China now than there are really even Christians in the U.S. That's kind of been the, you know, kind of a mantra for some time. And and I think that's really fascinating to even consider. But what's kind of, the other thing that brings to mind to me is like, wow, well, how do I even support that better? What can, so... Speaking to our fellow Christians like this, what mentality should we hold about our fellow Christian brothers and sisters in China that could potentially have a trickle-down effect or maybe trickle-up effect, depending on how you want to word it, that would be supportive toward them? It is a real challenge. I mean, there are estimates that there are up to 100 million Christians in China. More important in the sense than the number of Christians in America is the fact there are only about 90 million Communist Party members in China. Yeah that there likely are more Christians and Communist Party members in China. That's interesting. That, I've never heard that. Yes, yeah. and that is significant. It's one of the reasons why President Xi is nervous. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I mean, for a long time, Chinese officials, a lot of them, their view was simply stay out of politics, we don't care. Up till a few years ago, the primary uh, area of persecution was at the provincial level, and a lot of provinces went fairly easy on them. I think it was 2014, I was in Beijing traffic, I looked to the left and saw a Christian fish on a bumper of a <laughs> Chinese car. I took a picture of it. I used it in an article I wrote. And it was a time where churches existed. I had a friend there who was married to a Chinese woman who had a um, pharmaceutical executive. And one year I went to a church. It was actually for foreigners. You had to show your passport to get in. And then the other year he went to a Chinese church. Now, it was one of the official ones. So it was kind of the government acknowledged it. But the, the message seemed pretty pure gospel. A lot of young people were there. I mean, it was one of those things where it struck me that the fact this is existing and operating is a significant challenge to the Communist Party. At that point, yeah. they were allowing it. Today, you know, it's gotten much, much worse. One thing to do is to look for groups that help support Christians. I mean, you want groups that have contacts over there that are able to help, but aren't ostentatious about it. Uh, a fellow named Bob Fu has an organization with China Aid. I think it's China Aid. And they put out good reports about what's going on. They cover what's going on. I mean, people like that, I think, are helpful. I would look for activist groups that seem responsible, you know, that, that aren't out there trying. This is one of those things where the more you fling it publicly in the face of the Chinese Communist Party, <laughs> the more problematic it is. The more people work underneath. I mean, I have a friend actually at my church who does translation activities and video activities. He's a foreign national who comes from a country that has visa-free access to China, been there many times. His problem is that a friend of his who was active in things was picked up by the, the police, and my friend's name was in the computer. 
So he's a little nervous these days about going back. It's not clear if he can continue his activities. But that's the kind of person where you're looking for groups that uh, you know have ways to go in and just low key. You want people who talk to the Chinese and ask the Chinese what they need. Unfortunately, there's been major crackdown on online uh, religious services, online books. I mean, Christian message. I mean, so much stuff out there. But I think that if you have people who know what's going on, they can best help. Americans going over wanting to go to a Chinese service is probably not the best thing. <laughs> Even if you find a local church service under the radar, I mean, if they would get raided and you were there, they're in much bigger trouble. Yeah. I mean, you might get deported, but the people there are going to, you know, consorting with foreigners suddenly becomes a much bigger thing. Okay, that's interesting. If I ever get over there for business, I'll be careful. <laughs> and also, I mean, you look, pray for our Christian brethren. Yes. brethren. I mean, that's something where, and I do think that encouraging the U.S. government to make it a human rights issue is important. It should be along the yeah. list. I never expect the U.S. government to achieve a lot with that, but I think it's important <laughs> that the Chinese government recognize other governments out there view religious liberty as important as free speech, political freedom, et cetera. Sure, that's great. Well, well, Doug, thank you for coming by and being here with us uh, at Freedom Fest here. I find your insights always really fascinating, and uh, I hope we get to do it again sometime. I'd like that. I appreciate it. All right, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.